Amen. Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in the end of 2 Corinthians, the last four verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We have finally made it to the end of this letter, this beautiful letter, and I hope by the end there have been two unmistakable realities that you've learned, two realities that you believe with all your heart and that are good news for you. The first one is that we are weak people. I don't know if you knew that was going to be the good news that you heard today, but we are weak people, needy people, desperate people. We are sinners in desperate need of help outside of ourselves. But the second good news that we've learned is God meets us with gospel power even in the midst of our weakness. When we are not sufficient, Jesus is all Sufficient. When we are not enough, we are met with the enoughness of Jesus. And that's our hope as a church. Maybe you're new to Christ Fellowship, but our hope as a church is less of us and more of Jesus. Because if there's more of us, we're going to be left empty. But if we have more of Jesus, he will be enough for us. So we read the, these final words in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers... Rejoice, aim at rest for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us today. Lord, that you would help us like you always do through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit. Lord, will you do what you've been doing for thousands of years? Lord, would you build your church? Lord, would you build your beautiful gospel church that's not about ourselves, it's not about building it upon our goodness, our enoughness, but Lord, you would build it upon Jesus. And that his grace and his love, Lord, and your Holy Spirit would fill us, Lord, so that we might bring you glory and we might find joy in you. Lord, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I remember walking in the store like it was yesterday. We were on a trip, me and my wife, to New York City, one of my favorite places. I feel like I could live in New York City. And Rebecca says, it's because you have ADHD and it's, me leaving, it's moving at your pace. But I love New York City. I love it. And we were on Times Square. And the store, when we walked in, screamed what this place was all about. The store from floor to ceiling, from wall to wall, it was screaming what this store was all about. You could see it on every t-shirt. You could see it on the coffee mugs and the sunglasses and the posters and on the pins and on the boxer shorts and the bathing suits. Literally everything was screaming what this store was about. You couldn't miss it. In fact, you could literally taste it. We walked into M&M World. Don't know if you've been in M&M World in New York City, but I love this place because I love M&Ms. Everybody loves M&Ms, right? 
Everybody knows that peanut butter M&Ms are the best M&Ms. Amen. Got a lot of witnesses in the house. My, my grandmother literally was buried with peanut M&Ms. That's how much people love M&Ms. And, and literally, you can find M&Ms for every person. They have like birthday cake M&Ms, and they have espresso bean M&Ms, and pumpkin spice M&Ms, I'm sure. There's so many flavors of M&Ms that are out there. And when we walked in, M&Ms from head to toe, wall to wall, ceiling to floor, you couldn't miss that this was all about the glory of M&Ms. And this is what we long for people to experience when they gather at Christ Fellowship. We want people, when they walk in, to be able to see it and to hear it and to feel it and to even taste the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. We want every time when people walk in this room that it's unmistakable, that they can't miss not our enoughness, but the enoughness of Jesus. This is the kind of community, the kind of gospel community that Paul wanted to find when he returned back in Corinth. In fact, he writes this letter that, that these sinners in Corinth, that they would experience the power of God resting upon them, that they would experience the grace of Jesus Christ so much that you could taste it. And so this morning, I want us to ask two simple questions. I want us to think about what does gospel community look like? What does a beautiful gospel community look like and where does it come from? Two simple questions. And let me just say that gospel community that we find here, it has little to do with what happens up here this morning. True gospel community has everything to do with what happens out there, what happens with one another. Yes, it starts with the gospel being preached. A gospel church has to start with the gospel being heralded from the pulpit, but the gospel must shape our life together if we're going to be a true gospel community. See, there are tons of churches that preach about Jesus, and yet their life together, their community, feels nothing like Jesus. There are churches that can talk about grace and sing about grace, 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 amazing grace, but yet they never experience grace in how they deal with one another. We want to preach Jesus. We want to preach Jesus the amazing love of Jesus, and we want our church to look like and feel like and taste like Jesus. So the first question, what does gospel community look like? What does it feel like? Well, Paul is going to give us six exhortations in these first two verses. Many of these themes have already been mentioned in the letter, and he wants to return to them here in the final verses. And the first thing he says is that a, a gospel community looks like rejoicing with one another. It looks like rejoicing with one another. As we were reading this letter, the last 13 chapters, you'd have to be blind to see that it's not about joy. 
that it's not about rejoicing as God's people. Remember, Paul talks about that we as God's people should be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He says that when we give a gift, that God loves a cheerful giver. And he even says, I don't know if you remember this, in the second chapter early on, he says this. He says at the very beginning, this is my heart, that we would work with you for your joy. That's why I'm writing this letter, Paul says. I'm working with you for your joy. Listen, Paul is after their joy. We at Christ Fellowship are after your joy. And why is this? Because Jesus is after your joy. Jesus came to earth because he is for your joy, your joy in him. That's really important because, listen, it's a joy that's not rooted in who you are. It's not a, a joy that's rooted in what you have done. It's not a joy that's rooted in what you will do. No, it's a joy that's rooted in what Jesus has already done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. This is why a church should be filled with joy. That's why we as a church should be sorrowful at times, right? We walk through trials at times. We should be sorrowful, yet because of Jesus, we can always be rejoicing. That's why we should have unshakable joy in every ever-changing circumstances. Why? Because Jesus never changes. Jesus never changes. Listen, your present reality, if you're in Jesus Christ, is that all your sins are forgiven and you have a ridiculously bright future because of Jesus. That's your present reality right now. All your sins, past, present, future, are all forgiven and you have a ridiculously bright future forever in Jesus. And so if that's the truth about you, then brothers and sisters, it is not a big ask to say, brothers and sisters, finally rejoice. Rejoice because you have Jesus. The second thing he says is that a gospel community looks like restoring one another. It looks like restoring one another. This has been a key throughout Paul's letter. Paul writes this letter that the people of Corinth might be restored to him and that they would be restored to one another. Paul desires not only that sinners would be brought back into relationship with Jesus, but that they would be brought back into relationship with one another. This is what restoration means. Restoration is about something being broken and it being put back together. And Paul's saying what's been broken is our relationship. What's been broken is gospel community. And it breaks the heart of Paul. And, and it should break our hearts when a gospel community is disrupted. When any relationship of two believers that know the gospel is disrupted, it should break our hearts. 
Like it, sh- it shouldn't sit well with us that we can come in and, and sing about Jesus Christ and, and hear about Jesus Christ and, and take the Lord's Supper and taste the gospel of Jesus Christ and to hear every week about the gospel while our relationships are disrupted. I'll take it even a little further. While our relationships deny that gospel that we sing and hear about and celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Whenever and wherever and with whoever you experience broken community, it should break you. If we're in Christ, it should break you. And as much as what's broken should break us, listen, let's rejoice when relationships are restored in the gospel. Let's rejoice when they're restored in the gospel. This is just the reality of living in community is that we are going to experience broken relationships. We're going to experience hurt feelings. And we're going to experience frustrations and and disunity and gossip and bitterness and jealousy and misunderstanding and anger. Every community experiences these things in in some way. I mean, just watch Survivor for one season. You'll see how hard it is for people on the same team in the same community to get along. I'm sorry, but, but relationships are messy. Community is messy. But listen, what makes us a gospel community is that we heed this exhortation that we aim at restoration. That restoration is our aim, that that what's broken we want to have fixed in Jesus. And so we move towards one another. And we ask for forgiveness from one another. And we walk in repentance together. And we don't keep records of wrongs. And we lavish grace just like Jesus lavished grace upon us. This is what gospel community is. We aim at restoration because when we were broken, Jesus restored us to himself. Third, a gospel community looks like comforting one another. It looks like comforting one another. Remember how this letter began in chapter 1. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that, this is why he comforted you, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are are comforted by God. Do you hear what Paul says at the beginning of this letter? You've been comforted in your affliction, not so you keep it to yourself. You've been comforted in your affliction so that you can comfort others with that same comfort you received in Christ. Listen, the Lord was near to you in your brokenheartedness, not so you can keep people at a distance, both so that you could be near to the brokenhearted. The, the, the Lord has encouraged you, lavished upon you his grace, 
not so that you'll speak discouragement to others, but so that you will be putting courage, encouraging others in their time of need. Notice in this passage, there are three times this phrase is used. You see it three times. One another, comfort one another, agree with one another, greet one another. In fact, it'd probably be a good study when you're reading through the New Testament just to underline every time you see those words, one another. Because there's over 50 phrases that the New Testament uses about one anothering one another. That, that talk about what your life should look like together as a church, what we should do living together as a church because of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible teaches, listen, that church is not an activity that you go to. It's a people that you belong to. It's not something on your calendar on Sunday. No, it's a family that you live together and do life together with. And so every time you see this phrase in the New Testament, one another, you should stop and say, where is the church? Where is my church family where I'm one anothering one another? Those verses aren't like for your immediate blood family. It's not for people that you work with. Those verses are for your covenant church family, that you are covenanted together to live out what God has called us to be as a church. So where are you committed to one anothering one another? And if you're reading the New Testament, this might be the most gracious of the one another's. To, that, that we would be a church that would comfort one another. And why is that? It's because life is really hard. When I just say those words, everybody in here in some way knows what I mean when I say life is really hard. And our good God who says and promises to our hearts that I will never leave you nor forsake you says I want you to have a people where you experience that in life together. I want you to have a church that says, I will never leave nor forsake you. That'll be my presence that moves towards one another, that embraces one another in the mess of life. We are called to be the comfort of Christ to broken and repentant sinners among us. We're called to be the, the presence of Christ when someone's suffering in our church. We're called to be the encouragement of Christ to a brother or sister who really doesn't want to keep going. One of the things that I like to text a brother, and I actually learned it from a brother in this church, is in those low moments, those discouraged moments, those I want to give up, those moments where you're laying on the bathroom floor moments. I have a brother in this church that'll simply just text me, hey, brother, I'm with you. I'm with you. And you don't know how much that means to know that I'm not alone in my suffering, but not only is God with me in my suffering, but so are my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'm with you. May this be a place that we experience the comfort of Christ. Number four, a gospel community looks like agreeing with one another. Agreeing with one another. One of the greatest desires for a church should be that we are one, that we're unified. I mean, if you go back to Jesus' words, the night when he was betrayed, John chapter 17, what's he praying to the Father in heaven? He's praying, Lord, would you help them be one in the same way that you and I are one? The same way we've experienced love and unity and fellowship for all eternity, Lord, would they have a taste of that and how they're one together? Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says, hey, you all should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It should be your passion. You should long to be one with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This desire to be one in gospel community, it's, it's rooted in the fact that we're really one in the gospel. Like, we don't believe that the gospel makes unity a possibility for a church. We actually believe that the gospel makes unity the reality of a church. Because what happened in the gospel when Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, made us one with him, one in Christ, we are one with our Savior in the same way he says, you have been made one with one another. You are a one new man, Ephesians 2 says. One new man and woman in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything we're doing, but because of Jesus' blood shed 2,000 years ago, we are now one together. It's not a possibility. It's a reality because of the gospel. I was sitting on a marriage panel one time at the BCM. We were, they were asking questions. Young guys were asking questions of a bunch of guys that knew a lot about marriage, and then I was up there too. And one of the questions that somebody asked was, what do young men need to learn about marriage? What do you think young men don't get that they need to learn about marriage? And Tommy Johnson, who directs the BCM on campus, said, they need to learn that winning is not about being right, but being in right relationship." He said, the earlier you can learn that, that winning is not about being right. It's about being in right relationship. What, what if the gospel is not about winning an argument, but it's about being one? I mean, what, what would that do for your marriage? What would that do for a church that I don't care about winning? I don't care about being right. I just want to be one. I just want to be in right relationship with one another. That's the joy of my heart. Is, is that your heart? Is that the joy of your heart? Listen, Paul isn't saying we should compromise on the truth, but he is saying you need to die to your preferences. He is saying you need to lay down your opinions. The, the original language literally is saying you all need to think the same thing. 
That sounds really hard, right? You all just need to think the same thing. You need to agree in the Lord. This doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion. It just means you can't love it more than you love your brother. You can't love it more than you love your sister in Christ. It comes from a heart that would rather be one with one another than you care about getting your way. Agree with one another. Think the same mind. Why? Because we share the mind of Christ. Fifthly, a gospel community looks like, it feels like living in peace with one another. This is actually, I think, just the natural fruit of rejoicing and restoration and comforting and agreeing is that we experience peace. Colossians 3 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body. We should, we should want that, right? We should pray for that, that Jesus would rule in our heart together. That, that he would reign over every individual heart in our hearts collectively together. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never probably seen more anxiety than I've seen in the last few years in our world. And I would say it's not just our world out there, right? But I've never seen so much anxiety in our, our churches. So much anxiety. And some want to say, maybe, well, that's COVID, right? We blame COVID on everything. We just put everything. It's going to be the scapegoat 50 years from now, like, right? <laughs> My spaceship broke. Well, COVID happened back in, back in 2012, you know, or whatever that was. But we blame COVID. But COVID just revealed what was already in our hearts. I read a book the other day about finding peace in the Lord, and it said this. If peace is found in practicing the presence of God, then anxiety is practicing the absence of God. If peace is found in practicing the presence of God, then anxiety is found in practicing the absence of God. It's, it's failing to believe that this God we worship in the Scriptures is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And listen, it, it makes no sense if the Prince of Peace is ruling and reigning over our hearts at Christ Fellowship, for, for peace not to be palpable, that we'd be able to taste it in our community together as a church. And, I, and I'm not just saying peace that calms your individual anxiety or, or peace that calms the storms that rage in our hearts from frustrations and worries and things like that going on in our individual lives but real peace that we experience with one another. Because the Prince of Peace is reigning over you and he's reigning over me. Brothers and sisters, this passage says that the God of love and peace is with us. The Prince of Peace is reigning over us. And what if this church was the one refuge you could run to to experience peace 
and to find the rest that your soul longs for every week. I run to that gathering where I can hear about the peace of Christ. I run to my phone so I can text a brother who will remind me of the peace of Christ. I run to a sister who I know will walk with me, who will move towards me when I need peace of Christ. And, and not only that, but what if, what if the anxious hearts of our city, because we know that our world's filled with anxiety, what if the anxious hearts of our city could come to Christ fellowship and find a peace that passes all understanding? That every single one of them are longing for. Finally, he says, a gospel community looks like greeting one another. Looks like greeting one another. Verse 12, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of y'all are like, now it's getting good. Now it's getting good. Y'all are like, I knew I liked this church. I don't know what it was. But in all seriousness, with a, with a holy kiss, while that holy kiss might not be appropriate in our culture today, it might be different in America. What is, what is the appropriate way for us to say to one another that I love you? Like, what is the appropriate way to say that I care about you, that I'm glad we are part of the same family in Christ? Because, listen, silence should not be an option for God's people. Picture with me the cold hearts of the Corinthians, right? cold hearts that are keeping Paul at a distance, who won't forgive him, who won't move towards him, who are always criticize him and being closed off from him. And Paul's saying that if you really know the gospel, that then true gospel community doesn't keep people at arm's length. They don't keep people at a distance, but true gospel community will always move towards one another. Maybe that means giving a holy hug at Christ Fellowship or saying, I'm so thankful for you and all you do for our church or saying how glad you are to be a part of the family. Maybe it just means saying the words, I love you. I try to make that a habit and I, I don't think I say it enough. I don't think we say it enough but I love you brothers and sisters at Christ Fellowship. Those aren't words on a paper. I love you. We love you. And let me just ask, when's the last time you told a brother or sister at Christ Fellowship how much they mean to you? Before you leave today, why not just linger long enough to tell someone, someone how much joy they give to you in Jesus? You want to change someone's day. You want to make someone's day. What's it feel like when someone's glad to see you? When you know they're glad to see you. When you know that they love you. I mean, we're reading through these exhortations. Do you not sit here and you're like, I want this. I want gospel community. I want a beautiful gospel community that's about Jesus working among us. Well, where do we get it? Where does gospel community come from? We can't create gospel community. 
We can't schedule it on our calendars. We can't start a new program called Gospel Community Thursday Nights. You should come. We can't learn it at a conference. We don't have the power to make it happen. But praise the Lord, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Gospel community is a gift of God that he gives us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like when Paul says in verse 11, look, he says, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Listen, this is not transactional. It's not transactional. He's not saying, listen, if you try really hard to do all this, if you try to rejoice and try to muster up some restoration and try to comfort and agree with one another, then God will show up. Work really hard and then God will be with you. It's not what he's saying at all. Instead, Paul is saying, All of this evidence is that he's here. All of this means that God is in our midst. Like left to ourselves, we wouldn't rejoice. We would be really sour all the time. We wouldn't reconcile with one another. We'd move away from each other. We would never agree with anything. I mean, try to pick a restaurant with your family. This is like we would never agree with anything, right? But he says the God of love is here. The God of love and peace is here. And if the God of love is here, he is going to work powerfully in you and through you to reconcile you to one another. And, And the God of love and peace is filling our hearts with joy, helping us comfort one another, helping us think the same thing together, helping us live at peace with one another and greeting one another for our joy, but more importantly, for his glory, for his glory that he's the one doing all of this. Do we ever stop to think about this? I mean, just pause for a second to hear what Paul is saying. The God of love and peace is in our midst. He is here right now among us, moving and having his way among us. Don't miss this reality. Experience the reality that God the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son to die on a cross so that we would experience peace with our Father also is here today so that we would experience peace with one another. That same gospel power that forgives us of all our sins also allows us to forgive one another. That same gospel that first loved us now helps us love one another. And it can only happen with the help of God. Maybe you know the story of Corey Tin Boom. Corey Tin Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, she worked against the Nazis in World War II, hiding Jews in her home. And she was taken to a concentration camp where she was stripped of all her dignity. And right there before her eyes, saw her father and her sister 
be killed. And if you think about the atrocities that she saw, that's what makes her story of her running into a jailer one night so powerful. One night she was speaking at a church in Munich and she met a jailer that was at that concentration camp. And here's what, how she recounts that story. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who stood guard at the shower door in the processing center where we were. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's pain blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preached so often to the people in that city of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Jesus doesn't just call us to love. He gives us that love. He doesn't just call us to agree. He helps us agree. He doesn't just call us to comfort. He gives us his comfort, his grace, that we might move towards others just like she did. That's why Paul finishes with this verse in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it's the only place in the New Testament where the Trinity is mentioned explicitly together. Where in a blessing, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son are unapologetically God. It's why it's the, at the end of this letter. It's why we have it in the end of our covenant. It's because we believe that without God, without his presence and power, we are nothing. Without his love, we'll never love. 
Without his grace, we will never extend grace. Without his comfort, we will never comfort others. If he never forgive us, we would have never forgiven anyone. Our only hope is that we have his gospel power in the midst of our human weakness. Christ fellowship, we need all of God to be all that he desires us to be as a church. We need all of God to be all that he wants us to be as a beautiful gospel community. Brothers and sisters, never forget that we are great sinners who deserve God's wrath, yet amazing grace through Jesus Christ. God gives us all of himself. Think about that. Instead of all of his wrath that we deserve, we get all of God himself. We get the grace of Jesus lavished upon us through his life, death, and resurrection. He gives us forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that we now can forgive one another. We get the love of the Father, the eternal love of God that chose us before the foundation of the world. His steadfast love that endures forever. And so now we love one another. Why? Because he first loved us. And we get the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that makes us alive, makes our dead hearts alive, that makes our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, and then makes us one with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. My prayer is that people would walk in this room and they would see that. They would hear it. They would feel it. That they could even taste the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they wouldn't just leave here on a Sunday saying, wow, what a beautiful church. But they would leave saying, what a beautiful God. What an amazing God that would do that for sinners like them. That would do that for sinners like us. So Christ Fellowship, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all for our joy but more importantly, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, Lord, answer this prayer, that you would make us a beautiful gospel community. That yes, Lord, exposes that we are sinners, that we're desperate, that we're needy, that we're weak. But Lord, that the declaration over our church is that we have an all-sufficient Savior. That, God, you are a God of love that loved us before the foundation of the world. That you sent Jesus Christ that through his life, death, and resurrection, you might lavish your forgiveness upon us, your grace upon us, that we might have life forever. And that, Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit that makes our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. Because you've made us your own and you've made us one with one another. Lord, 
Thank you for giving us all of yourself. Lord, that we might know what it means to be your people and that we might bring you glory. Would you help? Lord, you help do this even more for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.